0: Namaste. So first of all, uh, thank you for choosing this prayer, one of my favorite ones, and uh, this theme of man being a bridge. Uh, this is something very unique to Ashura thought. Uh, we have several conceptions of the world, material conceptions, spiritual conceptions, and Sherbindo takes these conceptions to the utmost possible, because always in all these conceptions there is something which is missing. For instance, in material conception of the world, world is nothing but a play of chance, random accidents, which because of a certain associations and links appear like laws. And it becomes very difficult to swallow this conception that through random chance, series of accidents, dust has become man. It's it's very difficult to understand it, much of it is explained away through a series of random, inept events, rather than truly explained. Then there are spiritual conceptions of this world, or biological conceptions, which sees in this creation a struggle for existence, a struggle for survival. And if that be the case, it's very difficult to understand a virus evolving into man, when a virus is so much capable of felling man. So, obviously there is something we are missing and when we look at this world of evolutionary forms, we can see very clearly that it's not just about survival through adaptation, but bringing out of new faculties, possibilities, capacities, which is very evident on the very face of it. So, there is, in evolution again, there is something we are missing. It's not just a struggle for survival, but a struggle within nature to bring out new possibilities through forms. Then we have spiritual conceptions of the world and now these two conceptions don't bring in the element of divine though as I said it is implicit to imagine that from atoms, laws and developing into complex structures like man, galaxies, it's unimaginable without bringing in an intelligent will which is operating behind creation and within this cosmos it is not uh, self evident and it is yet self evident if we look at the creation and its complexity its whole evolutionary process and the same about the biological conception when we look at uh, the whole process of evolution it seems to have a direction it seems to have a certain kind of uh, you know causality leading us towards some higher aim and we'll talk about it as we go by then there are spiritual conceptions and the one which we are mostly familiar with is illusionism that this whole thing is nothing but an illusion which is one of the most absurd conceptions because you know uh, who created this evolution uh, this illusion and if this is illusion then where is the end of this illusion how can we say that you know god experience is also not yet another illusion so this whole idea of illusion is uh, uh, you know taken to its extreme makes an absurdity of this creation because we want to find a meaning and purpose in this world. You in inbuilt in within man, we are programmed. And then there is another conception, slightly better, and it's that it's not just Maya, but a Leela. So Leela is uh, understood in two ways. One way to look at Leela is a play. It's a play, divine play. But uh, well, to a little more sensitive, refined humanity, this sounds a very... Uh, not just a mysterious play, but at times a monstrous play, because the play becomes terrible at times. Forces which are dangerous, forces which which you know uh, threaten thought, life, inflict so much suffering and pain. So we have a, something missing in all these things. One master conception which can explain everything, and that Shrivindo brings in this word. Key word is manifestation. Now the we have I think in the very first uh, passage. Uh, Shobindu speaks about manifestation. Now what is manifestation? All creation is a manifestation of that which is within the creator. And the simple way to understand it is that what is Mahabharata? Mahabharata is a manifestation of what is held within Vyas. Is Mahabharata the only thing that he has manifested? No, he has he's, uh, authored many, many forms. The Bhagavat, many Puranas, the Vedas which he has of course compiled. So manifestation means that there are several layers and levels of manifestation. Several series of manifestation. But there is a state in which things have not yet manifested. And the typical way to understand it is, an author when he writes before that he feels a creative impulse. And then that creative impulse begins to crystallize an idea and then this idea begins to flow in some keywords, some sentences and then it starts expressing itself on paper with paper and ink, uh, pen and paper and ink. Now the moment you put it on paper, then it's become more and more concrete. So manifestation is something which is starting in a formless state and taking form. Now when it takes a form, between the formless and the form, There are levels which are involved. Take the example of an author. Before the unmanifest state manifests in the form of a beautiful poem, there is the brain, there is the hand, there are the nerves, there is the pen, pen, the ink and paper and everything else. So these are the links through which the manifestation is taking place. And if there is a defect in any of these links, the manifestation will not be perfect. Even if a poet is moved by a very deep bhava yet if his brain is in a disordered state if he has a paralyzed hand if the pen nib is broken if the paper is not you know uh, good you can't manifest even though it is there within so what has nature been trying it has been trying to perfect these instruments these forms so that they can reach a certain degree of evolution wherein the perfect manifestation, the perfect divine um, energy, the divine power, divine wisdom, divine love, divine ananda, they can actually express in the way they should be. So all forms, if we now link up all these various views, what really is this journey from atom to galaxies, the stars and to man is a way that the divine consciousness is trying to manifest itself. And then we can understand how beautifully the whole thing is a single plan. An atomic structure, an expanding universe, the drifting galaxy, the planetary system all follow a single plan. There is a core and around which there is a circling of energies. Now if you look at it like that, everything is trying to express what? A truth that there is something at the center and it is sending ripples into creation. And out of that mighty divine energy, there are outbursts of flames, sparks, stars, galaxies, everything. So if we look at, this is the first expression and it's a grand opening scene. You know, like Savitri out of the Fathomless Zero. So there is a grand opening to this creation. It's a manifestation, but this is not yet the perfect manifestation. It's just a symbol A physical symbol of what is going to come. Then starts a process, biological process. In biological process again we see that there is a progressive manifestation. From matter to life, lower life forms, greater life forms to man. And if we really look at this whole evolutionary scale as it is known, we can see something very beautiful. Just the, you know, we have the story of Dashavatar, I think I have referred to it uh, last time also. It's there. Beautifully we can see in Dashavatar the entire manifestation of the divine in, uh, you know, from the land animal to the man, from the sea to the man. Now when we look at this journey in at least the vertebral um, the vertebrates, it's very interesting. Life starts in the ocean, in water. And from there, it evolves to the land creatures now for that it must lose something what it must lose its ability to breathe in water and when it loses it it's a miserable life the mudfish the most miserable creature on earth it it is thrown out into the land and it doesn't know how to breathe and yet it is the means through which it must evolve into the creatures of the land and then there is life which is little bit on water and little bit on land and this ability also it must lose to become swift moving serpents crawling on the, in the jungles. The swift serpent must lose itself, its ability to crawl, to fly into the air. And the far flying bird must lose its ability to fly, to develop the strong vitality of the four legged creature. And the four-legged creature must lose its intense, tremendous vitality to become the thinking creature called man. And logically, the thinking creature must lose its ability to think and reason to climb to what is going to come beyond man. See, there is a whole hint and a process. Now, even the body, as I said, when we look at the galaxies, even the very body is giving us hints. So there is a the creature who is submerged under water. What is the water symbol of? It is the symbol of the all the world forces and these creatures are submerged under water. And then there is the land. So there is a reclaiming of something, matter. It reclaims matter. That is the first step. And then as we see slowly the bird ascending into the sky such beautiful sight birds represent the soul of the animal species and yet it lacks vitality it cannot escape from its own boundaries so it just falls back on earth it becomes a tremendously vital creature the beast who can you know with so much of vitality and life force but the bee still has four legs to the ground it is still too much linked to the ground it's still too much looking to the ground it's still too much turned downwards and then comes the two legged creature called man so what is the symbol of man's existence so beautifully first he stands erect for the first time we have the spinal column through which the current of life must flow standing erect it is pointing upwards man's very head is pointing upwards And then he can look up to the skies and he starts dreaming, imagining, aspiring, hoping, wishing. All these things are unique to man. And these dreams are indications of what is going to come next. So man dreams of blue heavens, peoples them with gods, goddesses. He dreams of a perfect world. Of course, he dreams many morbid things also. (laughs) But man has this unique ability to dream, to aspire. And that creates, that is the energy which is held within him as a dream which begins to start impacting his life. So how does this manifest itself? First, outwardly. He begins to fly, goes to distant planets, far beyond the bird can. So that loss which was... An ability to fly turns into a gain eventually because that's how the whole brain develops and eventually man can fly into far distant space. This has been the journey so far. And if you look at man's own evolution, nine intermediate species, till finally there is this conscious creature called man from the hunter and the gatherers, so near to the animal, to the man who is aspiring and becomes a hero, a martyr, a sage, a seer, a poet, a painter, an artist, a mystic. So this has been the journey so far. Is this the end? Obviously, if this is the end with man, God's creativity is in question because (laughs) man for all his achievement is still a clumsy two-legged creature. He aspires, but his members are at war. They fail him. We have beautiful aspirations, all of us. If we take a, uh, you know, make a study all over the world and ask, what do you prefer? Health or illness? Health. Love or hatred? Love. Peace or agitation? Peace, of course. Bliss or pleasure and pain? Bliss, yes. But look at the paradox and the irony. Though we dream of these things and many more, we are still bound too much to the ways of ignorance and pain. To the ways of untruth to the ways we are as if helplessly dragged into the past, which is more, you know, we don't have claws and uh, we have lost the tail but and the horns, but we have acquired worse things to inflict upon each other. Even words are used to inflict pain and suffering. So there is in man this paradox. And obviously nature cannot be satisfied with this kind of a half product. Man by nature is a transitional being. One doesn't need to really... Uh, Read it anywhere By nature Because in man There is no one law of being Unlike the animal world When an animal kills It doesn't feel bad about it In man There is this paradox He is in conflict His spirit and his members are at war As Shurabinda puts it in Savitri So there is in man The spirit dreaming of eternity Of infinity Of perfection And there is the man In his bodily life even in parts of his mind, in his heart, tied very much to its animal past. So the first task of man is to free himself from this animal animality in his consciousness and at least be able to not just dream but realize something of that Godhead, something of that state. This is what mysticism has so far led to and it's a tremendous power. It has such a liberating influence because you discover that you, know, you are freed from let's say hatred, anguish, anger, lust, greed and it's such a beautiful state to be at peace all the time in that state of inner joy. But is this enough? Well, if this is the goal, then bodily life will remain what it is. Because the moment one enters into the body, one enters into the same difficulty. So, in ancient times, it was like withdraw at some point into trance, or you station yourself above the human mind and act from there. But the moment you act, you are in the circle of the three gunas. But here, Shorvindu brings it no. What man can reclaim in his spirit and soul, he must reclaim in nat- nature, in his nature and even in the instruments. They must be so flawlessly tuned to those experiences and realization which we experience inwardly. So our realizations even of the highest Godhead remain incomplete until we can translate them into speech and thought and act and feelings in everyday life even in our very body. So, in that sense, man is the bridge through which not only consciousness jumps from animal to God, but also the bridge. So, it's a two-way bridge through which that greater consciousness can come down into matter and transform it. So, this is the sense of the bridge and with this, we can read this prayer as we go by. It's a wonderful prayer, dated August 29th, 1914. Physically, Mother and Shurabinder met. And they know what they are going to do. And this prayer gives us a first hint. What would be the use of man if he were not created to throw a bridge between that which is eternally but is unmanifested? What is that which is eternally? The divine perfection. It's always there. And if going and realizing the divine perfection is the goal, then the whole drama of creation was meaningless. It already were there. We were in that perfect state. Why would we come back here? See, if it's like I take this analogy of the doctors, I'm sure (laughs) you'll understand, that imagine a doctor going through a process of medical uh, schooling and at the end of doing his MD and, uh, you know, whatever, he he says that now I'm happy with myself. Somebody would say, why did you study? No, no, I don't want to go amidst uh, sick people. So it will be an absurd thing that you have discovered it. Now you don't want to come back and find new things, discover new ways to help mankind. Or imagine a singer who has learned song from none else but Lord Shiva. But he says, now I have learned it but I can't express it because my throat is not capable. There is not a single musical instrument which can express that wonderful rapturous dance of the eternal. Then Shiva himself will tell him, my child, go back. Develop the instruments (laughs) So man is the bridge between that Which is eternally The divine perfection Is always there But is unmanifested He is deep within He is high above In states of trance we can touch it But in real life We are miserable creatures (laughs) It's no point just realizing him in trance It must be there in everyday life between all the transcendences and splendors of the divine life. What are the splendors of the divine life? We hear about gods, and this is much greater. We hear that, you know, in Mount Kailash, there is no dearth of anything. Even the snake Vasuki and the rat Musaka, they live in friendship with each other. And the Bail Nandi, they are all friendly people. The gods and the titans come and sit together and have the same kheer, uh, you know, uh, made by Mata Parvati. But here, even the gods will fight. Two people in the same house will fight. But there it is possible. But we are not happy with that. We want it here upon earth. So he says, uh, beautifully she says, between all the transcendence, it transcends human conception. And splendors of the divine life. And all the dark and sorrowful ignorance of the material world. This is the divine irony, irony, the divine pathos of life. The moment we try to bring in here, imagine that you have sometimes people ask that you know uh, what is this collectivity centered around Shirubindo? now i don 't want to name everywhere you know <laughs> ashram society everywhere, so uh, I say it is Shivji Ki Bharat. You know what is Shivjiki Bharat? Shiva is getting married, so. He sends uh, everybody, whoever wants to join. Everybody can join, everybody can join. So in his uh, marriage party, they are not just the gods. They are the titans, bhut, preta, pishach, the singers, gandharvas, celestial musicians, the sages, seers, everybody is going together. Now this is such a beautiful story. They fight otherwise all the time. They are sworn enemies. But they are going to Mother Parvati that you can once again make us friends. We are not meant to be eternally opposites. We are not meant to be forever fighting and quarrelling. You know, on the surface there is always this play of duality. But deep within there is a consciousness of unity. So, this sorrowful ignorance of this material world, we have to become the bridge between the divine and matter. Not just... Climbing beyond matter into the divine, but also the other way bridge to manifest. Man is the link. That is very evident. No human being till date knows what is the right way to live. Ask a tiger, he will have no question. He will say, very simple, I feel hungry, I leap, I devour and I eat. What is the problem? Man debates and discusses since the time he... (laughs) He lived in caves and till date he has never arrived at conclusion that what is that one beautiful way to live. The one person who came closest to it is the the Darishi Yagnaval, who says, Isha was Sarvam Yatkin. Later on he says, Satya Of course, this is in the beginning. But he says, Show me the law of truth. I don't know what is the best way to live. What is the best way of live is not by my mental conception, but by the law of truth. So this is man seeking. So what is that law of truth as it must unfold in my life, naturally, spontaneously, inevitably, bypassing thought, analysis and everything else. Like in the animal, there is a spontaneous expression of the animal consciousness. Man doesn't have it. So that higher intuition, that must express within us. So we are the link. Man is the link between what must be, what with a capital W, It is something unique, (laughs) what must be and what is. So there are people who lament at the state of the world and they complain, they grumble, doesn't help, (laughs) it only makes misery worse. And there are others who say, well, things are too bad, let's find an exit door. All right, as if it's so easy, but that's okay. But the natural tendency of the man, the human, humans are characterized by this urge to make things better. This is what marks our humanity. We are never satisfied with only complaining, grumbling or leaving the place. Something in us wants to make things better. That's what marks us. And how much better they can become? Well, they can become divine. That's the beauty. So what must be and what is? He is the footbridge thrown across the abyss. You see, there is no other way you can make a bridge. <laughs> foot bridge. <laughs> you know, in, in battlefields, you have to cross from one peak to another. So you have those foot bridges where you can just walk narrowly. You can't take cars and jeeps and all these heavy vehicles. Only foot soldiers can walk over it. So it's not an easy passage. It's a foot bridge thrown between two abysses. Across the abyss, on one side there is the abyss, from one peak to another. So normally nature's way is, it brings us down and then we climb. That is called pralaya. So from one mountain we want to climb to another, there is pralaya. The whole civilization comes down and we go. Like in individual's life there is death, in the life of civilizations there is death and rebuilding. But this is what, she doesn't want that. She wants man to become the footbridge. Meaning, thereby we don't have to plunge into darkness. We can go from one mountain peak to another, from mind to the supermind, without necessarily crumbling down once again into the chaos of disorder and destruction. And that footbridge, man has to become that. And of course, it's a footbridge. We can't say, okay, I want to travel with my entire family. Excuse me, the bridge won't take it. (laughs) Walk it alone. Later on you can make a proper bridge and the families can come. But right now it's a foot bridge. <laughs> have at least a foot bridge thrown between the mind and the intuitive and the supramental worlds. It's a foot bridge. You have to walk carefully. If you make a wrong step, well, there is a the river with the crocodiles. Of course there is the grace which carries us through this. So, foot bridge. He is the great cross shaped X. Wonderful it is. You see... This, how beautifully she has explained in Indian conception, there is the Parad and the Aparardh, the higher hemisphere and the lower hemisphere. So, Brahman, it's like an egg. But you have the upper hemisphere where everything is based on oneness and unity. And lower hemisphere, everything is on division. So, this X, there is a meeting point like the prism where the one becomes the many. This X, the meeting point is literally, if you go higher, there is infinity. If you come down, everything is becoming more and more close. The lower triangle and the upper triangle. Not uh, as in in symbol, we see them joining and fusing. So what is that meeting point? That meeting point is the supramental world. That she specifies. Now, the meeting point between the higher and the lower. The quaternary connecting link, so that fourth link, quaternary is the fourth. So what are the three links between matter and the supreme? We have the material world, we have the life worlds and we have the mind. These are the three worlds already established in nature for consciousness to climb from inconscience in which it is involved. Now we need the fourth one, quaternary. That fourth one is the Supramental. Very interestingly, Supramental is four from either side. Shabinda speaks of that in the Life Divine. If you look at it from below, matter, life, mind, supermind. If you look at it from above, Sat, truth or existence, consciousness, chit, bliss, ananda and the supermind. So either which way we see such a beautiful connection, the Ananda. And here below the lower three worlds and the, the quaternary. This is our true domicile actually. Mother once speaks of this experience. She describes here his true domicile. We have not yet found our home. Forget about it. No. His true domicile, the effective seat of his consciousness should be in the intermediary world at the meeting point of the four arms of the cross. Just where all the infinitude of the unthinkable comes to take a precise form so that it may be projected into the innumerable manifestation. So it is that meeting point between the formless and the form. So mother speaks of this even in her essays on education. So that's where our true domicile is. This, um, uh, of course the Vedic Rishi is, you know, almost reached there, but then… That is the domicile. We start from there. And then the work goes down into the entire manifestation. And that's where we must first reclaim. The mother describes this experience in the agenda. One of the places she says that, you know, man in his origin belongs to a very high world. He's at the meeting point of the overmind and the supermind. And then she says that she went high up to see the origin of man. And so, you know, when I read that, I said, well, I always used to wonder why the title has been very... Interestingly, labeled descent of man, one of the, you know, uh, Charles Darwin's book. That why he has used the word descent? It should be the ascent of man out of the animal. But actually, unwittingly, though I know the biological reason behind it, but unwittingly, it hits the truth. It is a descent. All evolution is descent and an ascent. So, there is a greater consciousness which descends, touches matter, awakens dreams, creates the challenges. It can create challenges of life like present times. And then there is something within which stirs, stirs, stirs and then it adapts to that new way by which it conquers the challenges, challenge and evolves. So, looked at from one side, it looks like an evolution. But as he says before the evolution, there is an involution. So a new and greater consciousness descends and then it makes evolve. Everything evolves. So she says that man in his origin belongs to a very high state. And that's why man always dreams. He's never happy. He's never happy in a home. He wants a mohalla He's never happy in a mohalla. He wants a city. He's never happy in a city. He wants the whole <laughs> earth. He's never happy upon earth. He wants to explore galaxies and dreams of, you know, distant travel, time travel because he has not yet found his home. That's why the, the good name, the name for man from beginning was, he is a nomad. He is a wanderer. He is all the time wandering, seeking his home. So his true domicile is far above in the realm of the spirit where the two meet, where the formless and the form meet. And she says that he has descended, Shubindu's line in Savitri, descended here unhappy and sublime. Naturally, because we carry the dreams of that beautiful world somewhere within us. That's why we are unhappy. Because we instinctively want that state. We instinctively want a perfect, beautiful life upon earth. That life full of love and joy and beauty and full of wonder and without suffering, pain. And yet we are here. So our true domicile is the effective seat of his consciousness should be in the intermediary world. So that's why Shabindu says, first we, we must shift there, of course. Now the descent manifestation has started, so they have kind of accelerated the plan. So, The effective seat of his consciousness should be in the intermediary world. Here the intermediary world is the supramental world at the meeting point of the four arms of the cross. Just where all the infinitude of the unthinkable comes to take a precise form so that it may be projected into the innumerable manifestation. So there is beyond infinity and eternity. Here there is finiteness and the play of time and space. And we are never satisfied with the play of finite time and space till we have linked it with infinity and eternity now there are two ways of linking it escape from finite bounds the old yoga Shubhindo's yoga connect it to the infinity and eternity beyond so time should become the beats rhythm beats of the eternal and every finite aspect of the play should become a pouring in of the infinite. So then, you know, this problem is solved. Very often, knowledge reaches a point and stops. Love, after a point, totally stops. Why? Because we are finite creatures. So we start seeking here and there. When the doors are open to infinite, there is no limit. Because it's infinite. Of course, even the body must ultimately open to that infinity. But that's the last part of the work. So what is that center where we should be normally... That centre is a place of supreme love. That which we are seeking here, struggling, if we go there, we find it. Of perfect consciousness, of pure and total knowledge. That's the supramental world, where there is supreme love, perfect consciousness. What is that supreme love? It can plunge into the abyss. And it will not lose itself. It will pull the abyss Back towards creation That is the power of the supreme love It's the saviour power Of perfect consciousness Of pure and total knowledge So it's not just pure knowledge in terms of knowing God But total knowledge means that It knows all the details Even the atomic structures The electron, everything This is all comprehensive knowledge This idea that you know There is a knowledge of God Which has nothing to do with this world is the old world division That's not how it should be God knowledge must give empower us with every kind of knowledge. That's why in the ancient uh, Upanishads it is said so beautifully about Brahman: "Yasmin vigyate vigyati sarvam," knowing that all else can be known. So this knowledge, Gita speaks of jnana-vigyan, though it doesn't expand on it. Jnana is the fundamental truth. I am a soul, a spirit in an unfinished world. There is the divine above. It's half knowledge. But what is the full knowledge? How is that one expressing himself into this many varied play? And to become part of that play, consciously, no more unconsciously as we are now. That is the goal of man. There, establish, O Lord, now you know how to reach there. We, We have only barely had it. Right from there, she is beginning to reveal to us her role. And that's why Shurabinda says that, Turn to mother, she will do what is to be done, what is it? there establish, O Lord, those who can the whole humanity cannot be uplifted at once to that level, but her grace can do it. who must and truly want to serve thee, so those who really what is the path she sings? one, she is praying on our behalf, so second is, do we really want it? And third is the path is through service. So three things she is revealing. They are established, O oh Lord, those who can, who are ready, who must, who have to be there and truly want to serve Thee. Why with service? Because see, service is so beautiful. If you want jnana, the divine says, okay, fine, come to my study room, I'll meet you. So all the discussions, Vedanta and Tantra and everything we know... <laughs> Then if you want to serve Him, now you have to know everything, every detail. So service means bodily life, our embodied life. Service means everything is included. The body, brain, life, heart, mind, everything is included. So, she uses the word, who must and truly want to serve Thee, so that Thy work may be accomplished. This is the divine work to change this piece of clay, not just into a flying object, but into a divine object. The bridge definitively established, once the bridge is established, through this bridge, consciousness, the divine consciousness, the perfect consciousness can move up and down the ladder and change this world. And thy forces poured unwearingly over the world. Right now, we can only dream. There are needed human beings who are ready, who have this aspiration, who through the help of the mother, with the help of the mother, by the grace of the mother, can be established as bridge so that the divine forces can pour upon world. That is the way to change this world. Mind doesn't even understand the problem and yet it wants to change. But the way of the divine is by the pouring in of the divine forces, this world can be not only healed but transformed in a way that even the possibility of error, suffering, and pain, disease, death, misery of all kinds is annihilated. Otherwise, we will deal with only patchwork solutions. So, patchwork solutions are we have a fabric, we repair it. You see, there is such an interesting example. First time when I, um, you know, somebody bought for me a, 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 a crease free. Pant. You know, you don't need to iron it. I said, oh wow, this is so nice. It makes life so comfortable. <laughs> but it gets torn, no? <laughs> so, the thing is, this is, this fabric, we do patchwork, there is an illness, we cure it. Cure means we relieve it uh, Why? whatever means. But has the possibility of illness gone? No. If there is a, uh, you know, two people are quarrelling, what do we do? We find a you know, balance in the court or you go to a therapist and he will find a way to harmonize. How long? When they get back home, the problem is still there. Why? Because the root of the problem is not tackled. The root of the problem is when, when we are in a limited finite consciousness, all because we seek infinity and eternity, we will forever be unhappy and for this unhappiness we will blame the whole world around. But the way is to link the finite with the infinite, the time with the eternal and to let these forces pour upon the world. And anyone who can do it, wherever in the world, doesn't matter, he becomes an instrument and channel of the divine work. So this what, it's a very wonderful revealing prayer. It's a program. It is uh, shows us our own reality, our work and the path, everything, she reveals in this prayer. With this last bit, we'll stop. There, that center about which is speaking, where man should be, that center is a place of supreme love, of perfect consciousness, of pure and total knowledge. Our knowledge is always ignorance, struggling ignorance mate. There establish, O Lord, those who can, who must, and truly want to serve Thee. This very very revealing This spirit of service to the divine And this is nothing to do with being in ashram or society or anywhere Service to the divine is To treat everything as a means To be of service to the Lord When we speak let it be a service of the divine Let it build harmony Let it build beauty in this world Let let the speech be, be a natural expression of truth It's not about a space and a context, it's about what is expressed through us. So, she's also revealing to us what is the divine service. So, that divine service she will tell us, so that thy work may be accomplished. This divine service is to accomplish the divine work. And what is that work? The bridge definitively established and thy forces poured unwearingly upon the world, over the world. So, this service of the divine means to become a bridge between that which is unmanifested and that which we must get to manifest. The way is to have the urge and aspiration to serve the divine and no more for only just our egoistic expansion, the two cannot go together. By opening to the divine mother and by doing it, we open, become the bridge which we are meant to be because originally that's the original (laughs) plan and that way the divine forces can pour through the brain, the body, the mind, the heart, life, Breath, speech, heartbeat, feet, hands, (laughs) everything, eyes, ears. And we become nothing but pure and perfect channels of the pouring in of the divine forces into the world. This is the divine work. And if we can open to the mother, this begins to happen. Those who must and those who can, those who want this. That's the important condition. If we don't want it, well, then it's a different story. We must aspire for this. So this is the prayer, and uh, we can have questions if you wish. Yes. Thank
1: you, thank you very much. i um certainly um, crystallize the prayer as as much as we can think about it. Um, whilst others are thinking about some questions, I, I just want to ask: um, Are we saying that we are not the bridge at the moment? It's only when we reach that level, that, that intersection, that's when we become the bridge? Or are we an indefinite bridge at the moment and we become a definite bridge when we get to that intersection?
0: Wonderful question. We can put it two ways. We are either a bridge in the making or we are a bridge in our thoughts and imaginations. It's like before the bridge is built, it is there on paper. So even now in our unconsciousness, we are still a bridge in the sense that we seek a perfect life. Everybody who seeks a perfect life upon earth, whatever be our conceptions, is basically unwittingly a bridge. to used the word subconscious yoga. So, because man is meant to be this, he dreams. Unlike the animal, very beautifully in life divine he says, that the animal is satisfied with a modicum of necessity. He is not happy going to a zoo, even though you know food is provided. He is not satisfied that way. He is happy with his world of, you know, animal world. Animal is satisfied with his morticum of necessity. The gods are content with their splendor. Even gods do not want, because to become a bridge, both ends. Animal is at that this end. Gods are at that end. When mother asked the gods, are you willing to help in the manifestation? They would come and gather around her during meditations. They said, well, we can help you. Would you attach with some human being? No, 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 please don't say that. You know, <laughs> They have to lose their godliness. So they are very happy to be where they are. Of course, he says that Shiva said that I will help. And, um, but not in a human body, but Shri Krishna. He is the only one who attached himself to Sri Bindo, fused with him. So the gods are content with this splendor. But Shri Krishna is an avatar. So you know he could do that. So man is the only one who can be seized. He is the most dissatisfied of the of all, and he alone, therefore, can be seized with a frenzy to realize something which seems impossible. So man, even in his unconsciousness, is a bridge. I mean, I'm talking of an awakened man. Of course, there is uh, the you know life is carrying on just as it is. But true man starts with the thinking. Human who thinks is not living only by the senses. So the moment we begin to think and some kind of an urge for a better world comes in, we become the bridge. But it's still a vague bridge, as you beautifully said. Then that bridge is crystallized first on a drawing plan. So we read, try to understand. Then it starts taking shape. Now, you see the difference between making a bridge or a house or construct something on a paper. And in the real world, there is a big... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> challenge. <laughs> so even when we know there is a challenge ahead and yet, I mean, it's one thing that the bridge in Rama's story that, you know, they have to cross the ocean. The bridge is built by Rama. But everybody has to participate and have the joy of participating in it. That's how become we become worthy of receiving those forces. Because often people say, why doesn't the divine build the bridge? Why all this tamasha, you know? So, well, this tamasha is because if we don't participate in some way, we won't be ready to receive those forces. We'll break down and shatter. Because in embodied life, it's based on matter. By thinking, by reading, like Mother Anishwabindu, this is yoga in itself. So, our brain, our very substance, structures, they are being modified. It's like a yagna. And therefore we become ready one day So that when the higher forces pour We can contain it Right now in little love, little joy And see what happens Even a cricket match we start, you know Jumping and dancing a little music Now imagine these forces pouring down Through the body and brain So the bridge is step by step process Man has to participate He is the collaborator There is a little story in Ramayana That you know, when the bridge has to be built Well, Rama. He could have just put arrows and the bridge would have been built. Frankly, you know, he didn't need all this process. So he tells the monkeys to build the bridge. So what do they do? They pick up stones and write Ram and put it in the water and it floats. So as the story goes, it's a little humorous story but a very uh, significant story. So at night, Rama is thinking, because he's to come as an avatar. So avatar has to veil himself. That what are these monkeys doing? They are taking my name, writing and the Stone floats So he picks up a stone quietly When nobody is seeing And he puts it in the water So plop the stone goes down He says what is this How can it be that they take my name And the bridge is being built But I myself cannot do it So Hanuman is watching the play So he says Lord Isn't it natural Somebody whom you will leave Is bound to drown into the sea But your name can make the bridge and make us cross across. So the bridge for us to build the bridge is to take mother's name. She will build the bridge. But we have to do our bit. Our bit is important so that we can, when the forces pour, we don't break down. It's not easy to contain. That's why genius is one example where nature shoots beyond itself. But what happens with the genius? Even mental genius Very often they become like that movie, Beautiful Mind, (laughs) cracks here and there. So that's why we have to play our part in building the bridge. Yes. Gary? Yes, um, I have um, a question regarding the date uh, that Mother um, um, gave this prayer on because um,
1: it's a very important prayer. and, And I was just wondering... Um, it was given one month and one day after the beginning of the First World War. I just wonder if that was just totally uh, insignificant or it was uh, for a specific reason.
0: Yes, very, very interesting observation. If we read the series of prayers, now we will see that she actually speaks of the world war as a sacrifice through which the evolutionary journey is being hastened. Now, in one of her... um, uh, observations: There is a very uh, interesting uh, write-up of the mother, uh, where she speaks about the war, and she speaks about she she had gone in the front line actually, not now but later on, subsequently. So she actually saw people. Right now she was in Pondicherry. She saw people coming from the war, and she saw their wounded bodies and everything. But she saw in their eyes that they are by this very sacrifice ready now for the evolution next so it's very unfortunate and that's why she didn't want a pralaya or a gori war again but mankind has a tendency to fall into comfort zones so she is reminding man that look here consciously you become the bridge nature will eventually go beyond if we look at her conversations 1912 she is saying that nature is feeling very restless and she, in one of her conversations, she says that nature is becoming so restless because she wants to manifest something new, something a new impulsion. She repeats it in Japan, when the First World War is going on, that all this restlessness, this war, this agitation we see, where men are you know being sacrificed like a swarm of flies, she says, it's basically nature is going through these labor pains, she wants to bring out something new. And she's churning. So that man can awaken to the need for something more beautiful. And of course, one of the first uh, things which happened post the war and the Spanish flu and everything else was at least mankind, a seed for a conscious world unity was sown very imperfectly. League of Nations. It was imperfect. Shurabindu speaks about it that this will not last because it has to be on a true basis. But yes, it is very significant when the war has started. She is showing man the way the way was not just staying at the level of the mind Because if we stay at the level of the mind Being what we are We will end up with one war after another The way is to ascend to what man is meant to be So right then and there he is speaking of that Just like if you look at Shubindo Savitri Of course he started in baroda's Earth and Beyond But Savitri proper started in 1916 The Arya 21st June. First issue on 15th August, 1914. So when there was thick of night, when the whole civilization was getting plunged into darkness, it looked like, you know, the whole thing will collapse. What were the mother and Shubindo doing? They were showing us to the light of the sun that is going to come. That look here, there is a greater possibility of for man that is going to come, and she's not only doing that; she's hastening the process by praying on our behalf that there are those who are ready for this and who are getting ready for this. Oh Lord, establish them there. So this is why this prayer is significant at that point of time. Definitely, there is a meaning in it. Yes. Mm. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I love that. That was so powerful. Absolutely, absolutely powerful. Um, you know, we keep hearing that they have accelerated the process. In concept, one has a very, very vague idea of what that means. But what does it, what does it mean when when we hear? I mean, it, it it is a hope that gives because the more you think you know, you realize you don't know absolutely anything at all.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but that is very evident, actually. Um, thank you for asking that, though it's a whole subject. There are several pointers. As early as 1926, when Shurubind was asked, What are the signs you believe that the supermind is going to descend? And he spoke about a few science, very interesting signs. One of them was knowledge is bursting beyond the, uh, you know, uh, limits. You see, 1900 onwards, absolutely new forces had begun to come into play. The entire world of physics was undergoing a revolutionary change. So if we just, you know, slightly become impersonal and look at the world as a witness in the last hundred years, so we see the dramatic changes. Second was the descent of vital forces into this world. Why? Because they know. Before we get to know that a change is coming, these guys know that a change is coming. And like locusts, they swarm upon the world and its fields to capture. So we see that. Third is the rise of abnormal phenomena. See in the Bhavishya Puran, that's how it is described. Kalyug ends with Abnormal manifestations. So what does abnormal manifestation mean? Some people get very disheartened. But it means all the norms and forms of the mental world, structures, institutions are going to break down. Then only a new thing will come. Look at from the 1960s, we want no education. I don't know which year was that, but almost. Imagine, you know, how the mental structures is deinstitutionalization of things, post-modernism. And then still further, deconstructing, it was, it may, you know, we may have our views and opinions about it, but the entire paradigms were shifting their basis. The world becoming a single unit, this is an example of a new world in the making, that today we can speak this way and, you know, feel so connected. So these are the multiple small little bridges being built through technology. Now agreed that there is a flip side and all this the man and the woman the way the strong differences that were there so whole half the race human race was deprived of its own evolutionary capacities so now when we see all old institutions whether it be educational, health, psychology well the institution of marriage many others they are breaking down why? Because something new has to come. Now that new has to be on a deeper basis. Right now it's a mind made thing. There are social norms. Take for example, you have to follow it. Why? Because people at some point of time believed that is true. But today what is the seeking? I want to know my truth. Now this impulse, subjective age, we may feel frightened with it. But that's the passage through which mankind will discover its own inner intuitive law. So the fact that mental structures are breaking down in a new kind of experimental, uh, as I said, the mudfish. We are like the mudfish. <laughs> we are neither fit for water. So when we meet, you know, our grandparents who spoke about morning ghanti and this thing, we feel nice, but we can't fully connect. At the same time, Shirobindo speaks of the supramental being. Wonderful, but we can't connect. So we are the mudfish trying to breathe a little bit here, but a little bit there. But remember, mudfish has been thrown out into the cesspool, out of the river. So it has no other destiny but to eventually learn to, uh, you know, become the bridge. So this is, uh, many signs are there. As I said, even in the physical structures are changing. And uh, because of the massive uh, rapid shifts travel... All this is having an impact upon the human body. The challenge of virus. We look at it. Yes, it's an adverse force. All this we understand. But at the end of the day, what are they doing? They are challenging the human body to the limits. And that is how the human body feels the urge to discover the elixir of immortality. Otherwise, you know, we are providing everything to a human. Like a child who is being fed. So, uh, you know, I often use the word, you know, what is that? Uh, our idea of... Uh, A perfect child is a zero error syndrome. A child who doesn't make many mistakes, any mistake is a paralyzed child unfortunately. He doesn't fall. But if you learn to walk, you fall and learn to walk. So we are right now going through that stage where we have been, the crutches are being taken off, the wheelchair is being removed and we are told your comfort zones are out. Start walking. Now naturally we fall, we crumble, we get up again. But now we know that these crutches are not going to be given to us. They are being pulled. All religious comfort zones. See how they have been pulled away. Where will man go? He has a seeking. Now he is destined to move toward that direction. So simultaneously you see, while religious crutches are being removed, the spiritual impulse. Look at all over the world. There is a sudden heightening of the thirst for... Uh, it is taking various forms, and we need not get into that. But at least there is an awakening of for the uh, thirst for something higher and greater. It is manifesting in the uh, you know American context as uh, the Beatles. Uh, it is awakening in the Indian context as a great churning and spiritualization, reconnecting to the spiritual roots rather than just religious forms and formulas. In other places, it's taking the form of breakdown of societies and its cherished values and various ways. There are many signs to see that we are in that direction. But having said that, I make it very simple. See, do we have an option? (laughs) We have no option. So, you know, let's take the one option which is so wonderful and move towards it. (laughs) Also, there is a conviction in the heart. As long as we have a dream, it means that we have the power to realize the dream. If we can imagine something, that means the, imagine, the truth behind the imagination is knocking at our door. So we have to move with faith, courage and move on. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, there is no problem with being a zero. Okay, just we have to put the one on this side of the zero. When we put one on the other side of the zero, <laughs> then the zero remains a zero. But you know very well, put the one on this side of the zero, it becomes Ten. So, let us just let this zero be at the service of the one and it will become ten. <laughs> ten is the figure of perfection. <laughs> yeah.
1: Zero to the one, that is really beautiful to always remember that. Yeah. <laughs> to that one, to the mother. Thank you. We have time for one more question if anybody wants Yeah, to yeah. yeah. So, um, would it be true to say that um, up until now, religions in the world have not dealt with this concept of man as the bridge. And and that is why that religious structure has to break down. Um, and And there are a few who perhaps now are beginning to understand man as the bridge.
0: It's a very good question again. Well, if we go back to the Vedic period, the Impulse was for the bridge. You know, if we go back to the Vedic, as I said in the Isha Upanishad, Show me the uh, face of truth so that I can live by the law of truth. It was not just that, you know, I want to just escape. Then even subsequently, like Rishi agastya trying to, you know, build a bridge with the subconscious. So in ancient Vedic lore, plenty of them, there is enough hint that there was an urge to make this world beautiful. And it has been there as hint, even in when it is said in Christianity that, you know, heaven upon earth or in Islam, when you know, this world will be ruled by the divine in whatever way it is understood. There is the conception is there, Ram Rajya, an ideal world. But it has been lost and buried under a heap of, you know, accretions which have gathered around religions for political purposes, for gathering power, for ideological, you know, expansion. And therefore that little spark has been buried under ashes. Little bit remains in the Vedic period. They Because fortunately the Vedic lore continued, you know. It didn't go through that kind of destruction. So Vedic lore did, you know, the idea of three thirty-three crore gods is what? That man can grow into a personality where all these various gods can manifest through the human personality. That's how the original meaning is. So the Vedic lore did contain a hint. That was the original effort. But later on... Religions got into other, you know, power game and some spark here and there. Then came the great wave of Buddha and Shankaracharya. Oh, this world is incorrigibly bad and, you know, let's quit into nirvana. So then everybody started moving towards nirvana. We left the whole field for all the forces to rush in. (laughs) So all the forces rushed in and we went through. But it was all necessary to churn mankind. So... Now what we see in religion is just outer structures. It's like a framework, you know. Honestly, it's a very sad framework. Many times people go to. Uh, I'm not talking. I'm talking of the best case scenario, where still you know worship is offered to the eternal. As Shubindu says in, in the in the Sanatan Dharma. But even there, people go, and they discuss. Ki. You know, which one is better? <laughs> now, it's unfortunate because religion also has become like that. And therefore, it must go. Because its purpose was originally to nurture the dream of the eternal. That there is something beyond this world. To that extent, it had to nurture. But how to bridge that, it didn't know. So, it has nurtured the dreams of the eternal and it has served its purpose. But now... Man wants more, you know, dil Mangi more. it's not satisfied with just dreaming that yes, there is a greater beyond. What about life upon earth? So because of that, man's seeking has reached a point thanks to all these churnings that now we are more ready. So these structures have to go all you know because these forms have become now dated. So they have done their job. Good job, we can tell them kudos, but you know, a bit <laughs> stress themselves too far. Now we want something truer, more beautiful, more complete, more harmonizing, and something which would last yeah, and fulfill.
1: Thank you. Um, and there's one question, and this will be the yes, last question. Um, Vidyutai has uh, asked a question, so how do we stop the influence of the animal heritage on humanity? You know, so we, we're still linked to...
0: Oh, that animal inheritance of the humanity in its final phase will go only when the body changes. Mother has spoken of that. Some degree of animality, that's why they were so much keen on change of the body. Because as long as the body cells contain the stamp of the animal, at some level the twitchings and reactions will be of the animal. Of course, animal has beautiful things also without, you know. (laughs) But that apart, we can change in consciousness, fully possible to free our consciousness from the entire structure of this material framework. But as long as the frame remains, the still an evolutionary frame from the inconscience, as long as we depend on food largely for energy, as long as we you know, have organs which represent the animal way of life, well, to an extent, it won't be possible till it drops. So we have many stages and steps on the way and a day will come when this body will progressively change. The complete dropping off of the animal consciousness, much will change, no doubt about it, but a complete dropping of the animal consciousness or its transmutation and two things which will be the last to change is food, and sex. These are the two things which are strong inheritances and they will go or transmute like direct drawing of energy, no need for food, withdrawing conscience, sexual relations transmuting into the ultimate Ishwara and Ishwari. Uh, It won't come, it will change into its divine aspect. That will be the last stage of the yoga. And that's when if that stage has come, that means the body is beginning to... Now, I am not talking of fasting for prolonged period. That's a different thing altogether because the law of the body doesn't change. We feed upon the vital and draw from the vital. That is not uh, getting freed from food because the flesh will begin to lose Itself, after a while, beyond a point. I mean, I am not going into reports, drawing energy from the sun and all all those, you know, debatable things. But the law of the body should change, wherein we don't need to depend on food. But we can draw the energy directly from the creator himself. And the second aspect will be the sexual energy transmuting itself from just pure instinct for lust or, you know, animal procreation into something more beautiful, more human towards something more godlike and eventually transmutes itself into its divine equivalent whatever that be so it is quite a way for the complete disinheritance because still the animal is you know in the framework it is there that's why we understand the significance of the yoga of the cells that it has been in principle achieved but the passage is long and that's why the mother wanted to do it because she knew that if the supramental consciousness will do it eventually, her work was over in 56. But if that would do it on human beings, it would mean a very difficult passage. So she took up this work and when Satprem asked mother, mother, it's very difficult, it's so painful. How are we going to do it? She said, but who is asking you to do it? You just open yourself to me, I'll do it for you. So it's by her touch, it will go. It's uh, some time away. Uh, We must understand the difficulty and not disown the difficulty, the challenge. We must bear our own burden, but by constant pouring in of the divine forces, it will start changing and the change has begun.
1: Okay, so with that wonderful thought of opening to the mother, I think we can conclude this wonderful workshop. Um, And that always seems to be our theme at the end, open to the mother. And, and that brings to a, a, a conclusion. So, thank you very much, Alakbai, for joining us.
0: Thank and, you, Sanjeev. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your time. It's it's a joy. I regard Oramira Center as part of the family. So, thank and you. And so we'll
1: call on experience. you again in, in yes, the future. Thank, thank you. And uh, goodbye, everyone else. Um, thank, thank you for you. joining thank you.